Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And yes, I'm excited for baseball as always, but I'm more excited this week because Sarah's in Arizona with me. So at least we can share this together. I can see her, which as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to see her. Um, So that's the only thing that matters this week. I'm sorry, Doe, we'll get to you in a second. But uh, Sarah, real quick before we get into previewing our next division, which is the AL Central this week, uh, you've already been to what? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five games. So uh, how has your limited stay so far been? It has been amazing. Today on Wednesday, uh, the game in Scottsdale ended in the pouring rain. So, you know, getting the full gamut of uh, Arizona weather, apparently. Uh, We're on video and I'm staring at how sunburned I am, despite (laughs) the fact that I'm talking about a rainy game. But we've seen home runs, pitch timer violations, defensive violations, everything. Uh, so it feels like we're underway, and it feels like I've been going to games for the last, like, five months, even though it's only been five days. So very excited to be here, very excited to see you. That was going to be my favorite thing in baseball at the end, but you took it. Good. That, you always uh, take mine. I have to take yours sometimes. Yes. But I think first, before we get to go out dinner, we have to talk about the AL Central. So as we continue to make our way through all of the divisions previewing we've gotten through the west we have the al west the nl west we're going to leave the east for last because nobody ever does as we mentioned so today we have do young park who covers the twins for us at mlb.com and of course we had to have do on because the two of you are basically going to preview this division for us because it's going to come down i think to the guardians and the twins so thank you for joining us. I think I want to sort of start with backing up a little bit because the Carlos Correa saga that was this offseason was the most dramatic thing, I think, uh, that I've seen outside of The Bachelor telling me it's the most dramatic episode in history every single week. So I 
I know I was exhausted watching it. What was it like being the team he actually landed with, covering that team and trying to follow that as closely as you had to? Well, here's the funny thing, right? So I take my vacation around the holidays because my parents live in Korea. So I fly out and I take like a little bit longer so I can take spend time with them. And like everything that was happening with like the Giants and the Mets happened while I was in Korea, like with my days and nights flipped and everything like that. And I fly back to the US and I'm like getting my bearings, just like, you know, like getting, you know, like just catching myself on what, what happened while I was gone, that sort of thing. Like reaching out to people, like getting the lay of the land. And then it was that week that everything turned on its head. And it's like, okay, one night all of a sudden, oh, hey, Carlos Correa might be. A th- and then the next day, boom, Carlos Correa is a thing again. And that's the craziest part, because when we were talking about this on the twin speed throughout last season, throughout into the off season, it was pretty, I don't know about projectable, but it went like how we basically thought it would like, you know, the twins were going to be really interested in bringing Carlos Correa back, but then a deeper pocketed, bigger market team, like the Giants or the Mets or the Dodgers or somebody of that sort, would just come in and make an offer that the twins could not match. And ultimately that's how it turned out. But uh, I mean, <laughs> the twists and turns it took along the way and even talking to Derek Falvey in the aftermath of the deal, he's like, we honestly couldn't have imagined anything like this coming either. Uh, I think it was kind of blunted by the fact that last spring, I think it was even more of an, oh my gosh, what's happening when Carlos Correa ended up on the Twins. Uh, so I think it's like two years in a row now that uh, Carlos Correa stunned the baseball world by landing in Minnesota. And I think we were kind of a little more prepared for that. Uh, because it had just uh, blown us away so hard the year before. I do have to pause and tell the story of when Correa was reported to be signing with the Mets, the John Heyman tweet at like, what, 2.33 a.m. in the morning, I was getting into bed, turning my phone off. I get the tweet alarm, and I immediately text Mandy, and I say, hey, are you awake? No answer. And then I'm going through my phone thinking who might be awake, and I see Doe tweet. So I text him, and we ended up texting about this all going on for about half an hour because he was with his parents in Korea, so the time difference worked out. So I know for a fact that he was awake when all of that was happening at the very least, but that was just one of the most what on earth is happening kind of moments of the offseason. Initially, uh, Heyman was the only one reporting it. And I believe Susan Slosser confirmed it like 30-ish minutes later. But I was in this moment in New York on the East Coast of like, do I go to bed? Do I stay up? Is anyone else going to wake up and report this? Meanwhile, Joe was like starting his day. Yeah, it was, it's really funny because I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, I need to, like, baseball this with somebody who's going to be up right now at the time it's there. Uh, and, of course, it was Sarah. I, was, I shouldn't have even thought twice. Of course it was going to be Sarah that was going to be awake for the Korea news. And uh, it actually became kind of a joke for us um, on the Twins beat, too, that just, like, Carlos Korea news never seems to break at just, like, a normal person, a normal human being time. I remember last year when uh, Korea first came to the Twins, it was, like, a 2.30 a.m. tweet, and uh, Betsy, my coworker on the beat, actually has, like, a screenshot of the group text thread, the Twins beat, where all of us wake up one by one and are just like, what is happening? And she's just, like, welcoming all of us to being awake at the Carlos Korea Twins era. Um, 
the last time it was at a normal time, thankfully for all of us. Doe, I want to ask you now, because obviously you and I are more part of it than most people because we live and breathe the AL Central, it seems like. But every year it's speculated if this is the year for the White Sox and each year it hasn't been. And so I'm curious, like, do you think that that's one, uh, the question to answer again this year? Does it lean more towards the Guardians because... They took the, the title last year, even though it might be difficult for them to repeat what they did last year because that was a lot of luck going in their favor. Or can it be the Twins who are the, the favorite because if they can stay healthy, seemingly this is a really, really good squad. I don't know that I can, you know, like just pinpoint a single favorite in the division. I know this is kind of a cop-out answer to a certain extent, um, but I think you're right in that we have painted this division as a is this the year the White Sox finally put it together thing for the last couple years almost, but fundamentally speaking, this is a really different White Sox team to a certain extent in that Jose Abreu is no longer in the middle of that lineup. and is no longer in that clubhouse. He was the beating heart of that club, that franchise for such a long time and a pretty dang good hitter too, uh, I'll add. And um, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how Eloy Jimenez continuing to want to play the outfield and um, just trying to come back from everything that's happened over the last couple of years, obviously with Luis Robert too. And, you know, they, they ooze talent, but at the same time, the rest of the division, I think, has caught up talent-wise in that sense, has caught up ceiling-wise. When you saw what a Guardians team, a plucky, talented Guardians team that was so young was able to put together last year, and then you look at the team that the Twins are putting together with now Pablo Lopez in the fold. You know Byron Buxton, what he's capable of now in this monstrous Byron Buxton state and with Carlos Correa locked down. So I wonder if the ceiling gap that made the White Sox so tantalizing, just pure talent-wise over the last couple of years, has just been erased because they might have just missed that window when they had the clear-on talent advantage when we play up to our potential, nobody can catch us, that they've had in the last couple of years. You know, I'm really interested by this Twins team. I'm curious whether it feels this way to you. But to me, this team looks very different this year. Even though Byron Buxton is still there and we, of course, still have everything sort of hinging on will he stay healthy. And even though Correa is returning, it feels like this time is sort of new. But I look at the fact that they added a guy like Joey Gallo and Christian Vasquez and making the trade for Pablo Lopez and not having Luis to rise this year. It just feels like a lot of the players who I viewed as fundamental pieces have kind of moved around, even though you saw Polanco, Kepler. It just feels like maybe where the pressure is has changed. Do you feel being there every day that this team looks different compared to last year beyond the normal day-to-day or year-to-year? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's not just a last year thing, but just in the macro over last year, the year before then, the year before that. I think when Derek Falvey and Thad Levine arrived in Minnesota, they hoped to kind of build the next Twins contender around the core that had been in place. That was going to be Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, that core of the Bomba Squad 2019 Twins, to which they added Josh Donaldson in 2020. And they're like, okay, this is going to, this is the group that we have right now. And now, that core is not 
just the focal point of this team, like you mentioned. And the easiest way for me to pinpoint this is the fact that the starting five, the five members of the twin starting rotation, that's Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, and now Kenta Maeda, they're all trade acquisitions that came in within the last two and a half years. The twins have traded for an entire veteran rotation from scratch in the last two and a half years. And that's not to mention, you know, the next core of position players has come up. That's like the Trevor Larnix and Alex Kirilovs and Royce Lewis's and Jose Miranda's of the world, a couple of which have had to deal with injury issues. But so what one thing that we've had here is that there's been a kind of changing of the guard from the old position player core that they hope to build around to the new. And then around that, they've talked about it's really hard to find and develop good pitching. So they went out and traded away a ton of prospects to build a starting rotation essentially from scratch. So in that way, it does feel like a very different roster. And another way in which it feels different is this is a Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton centric team more than it ever has before both in performance and in the clubhouse. You know, the twins on the field are going to go as those guys go. And in the clubhouse, Correa and Buxner are two very different personalities, but they both exude an incredible amount of leadership toward their peers in the clubhouse. They do it in different ways, but they're the focal point of everything this organization is trying to do in a way that I haven't seen one or two guys be kind of the faces and focal points of an organization, especially here since I got on the beat in 2019. You know, last year we were sort of expecting the last month or two of the season to be this dramatic foot race between the Twins, White Sox, and Guardians, and somehow the Guardians just went on a roll, and it seemed like won every single possible game they could have and ran away with the division, um, which no one was expecting. No one was expecting really anything with them last year, which was the whole theme of the season. Do you think that would be the case this year? I know I'm going to use Tito's famous line of no one has a crystal ball, um, but do you, do you see this being a three-way foot race for most of the season? Wise man, that Tito, except for apparently when it comes to speech writing, because apparently that's a big hassle <laughs> for him. <laughs> no pasta. I, th- I, I think this is a three-way race, honestly. I mean, I don't know that any of these three teams from that foot race of last season, at the end of last season, has done a ton to really differentiate themselves from the other teams in that group. I mean, obviously the White Sox had added kind of the supplementary pieces that they hoped to add, but also lost Jose Abreu. Like I said, the guardians brought in Mike Zidino, you know, they addressed these big needs, but uh, I mean, there were, there were kind of like holes that they needed to fill and not necessarily the big splash. Whereas the twins, you know, their splash was adding Carlos Correa, who was already on that team last year that faltered down the stretch. Um, So I don't know that it's, I would call it status quo, because all these teams have made meaningful additions, at least on the twin side, that's Pablo Lopez. But at the same time, I don't know that any of them have taken like this quantum leap forward. That's like, okay, we're going to take this next step to be head and shoulders ahead of the other two teams. And it's definitely going to be a grind, I think. I mean, especially, uh, especially with how last season turned out and the Guardians really closing that gap and having that exciting young core. I mean, I think it's a race that's going to be a lot more exciting than uh, people outside the Central give it credit for. And I know that's tough to say, given kind of the reputation that the AL Central's maybe rightly garnered the last couple of years. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a pretty competitive one to the end. To that point, I feel like we have to ask Mandy a question here too, because we do have two AL Central reporters. And Mandy, I mean, you know, it felt like last year, the team at a certain point, kind of momentum, not something that we can quantify but it felt like that momentum of being the youngest team 
of everybody knowing that, of defying expectations, that that really propelled them at the end through those series that you're talking about toward the end of the year. This year, people are seeing them coming. It's a very different situation to be in because no one expected them there last year. Now we're talking about a three-team race. Do you think that this team is prepared to you know, be in a situation where maybe the target is a bit more on their back? And to the point of acquisitions, you know, how much pressure is there on Josh Bell to be that uber power hitter that they have needed for a while? Uh, well, to answer that part real quick, I think Josh Pell has a lot of pressure on him, whether he wants to admit it or feel it or whatever. I think it's there because he does need to be the power source of this whole team because they haven't had that in a while. Yes, you have Jose Ramirez, but you really need that that true power threat um, that they wanted Fran Mel Reyes to be, and he was a bust for them. So. Um, not only just being that power threat, but he also knows the pressure of batting behind Jose Ramirez. They've been looking for someone to provide him protection for so long. They tried literally anyone who was hot last year to just throw them in the cleanup spot to try to give him that protection in the lineup. And it just, it never really worked. He, he, he did not see a lot of good pitching last year. And so he has the balance of the team, but also the pressure of making sure that the best hitter on the team is having a threat behind him. So I do think there's a lot that will come with that um as i know you have written about he usually gets off to hot starts and then tapers off a little bit more and so this team is usually the opposite where it takes him a little bit more time to catch fire so i don't know if that'll clash or if they can figure out a way to make those two blend together but um i think he's going to be a huge part of whether they have success or take a step forward from what they had last year now with the vibe of the team it's like they had that chip on the shoulder all year last year. And somehow they sort of still have it. I, 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 it's weird. It's weird the way that they've approached it as if they are still the underdog in some way. Um, because I do think a lot of people are doubting that it can be du duplicated. I think a lot of people are doubting that the young guys who came up, whether it was for most of the season last year or even just parts of it, can be successful again. Um, a lot of talk of sophomore slumps and all of those types of things. Um, so I think they still sort of have that chip on the shoulder and they're trying to keep the mentality the same as last year. It's just whether you can do that or not. It's just easier said than done. And they had a lot of things go right for them. I think the biggest thing is having Tito in that dugout, uh, you know, when he's not sidelined at the dentist. But um, I think him, he knows how to put this team together. He was the reason I truly think that they ended up winning the division. Without him in that dugout, I don't know if they're as successful. And that's just something that is always so hard to really put into words or uh, observe or analyze how much of an impact a manager makes. But he really does, and I think it's shown – uh, time and time again, you saw it line up last year. They had a makeup game in September against the White Sox, and it was like when all three teams were tied, and it was so close. And they had that makeup game against the White Sox before a five game series against the Twins, and then three more against the White Sox. And they threw Hunter Gaddis on the mound. And he's, I'm sure a lot of people probably haven't heard of Hunter Gaddis. And so he came up and he's this young guy, no major league experience and gets rocked and they lose that game. And people are thinking, what's going on? Why are you doing this? 
Well, Tito was adamant that he needed to set up his rotation, have that extra day, and get through this most difficult part. And they basically, they went like 10-1 and one or something after that point. And so um, I think with having him in there, having Jose buy into that type of concept of, okay, we're going to stick with the same mentality and try to pass that on to the rest of the team, I think they have a chance of duplicating it. But my gosh, it'll be difficult. All right, so the way we have ended this, the first three installments, has been asking the reporter guest, Dill, that's you, to put the teams in order, one through five, and also give us a wins prediction for the team you cover. So to give you a moment to think, I'm staring at Pakoda. Pakoda updates every day, but Pakoda at this exact second has the Guardians and the Twins with the exact same number of wins and losses, 87.9 and 74.1. Then after that, it's the White Sox at 79, uh, Detroit 64.7, and then the Royals at 62.7. So what is your one through five? And Mandy, we're going to make you do this, too. It's your Oh, okay. Man, I thought this was just on Doe. Nope. All right, fine. Nope. All right, well, Doe has to go first because he's the yes. guest. Well, I like, the, I, I, like that, I like that Mandy is as taken aback as I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go Cleveland 1, Minnesota 2, Chicago 3, Kansas City 4, Detroit 5. Cool. And a wind prediction? 88 for the Twins. I literally just answered an email from Bus Rolney for some previews he's doing for his podcast. And that is the exact number I just emailed. So great minds. I like it. Uh... All right, Mandy, no pressure. <laughs> oh, this could go so many different ways. All right. I, ooh, I hate that I'm going to say the same thing, but I really <laughs> hate this. But I... Mm. I think it'll be Guardians, Twins, White Sox, Royals, Tigers. And I think for the Guardians, 90... Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm between one and three. I'm trying to go right <laughs> around last year. I'm going 93. Let's be optimistic right now. All right. But I truly, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fully sold on that because I do think that this... I think the Twins are, are sort of a sleeper team. If you can have a sleeper team that's made, you know, landed Carlos Correa and, I don't know, is supposed to be in a th- three-team race in this division. But I think that most of the attention is still going towards the White Sox because it always seems like it is waiting for them to have that year. And a lot of attention is going to the Guardians because they were there last year. I think it seems like the Twins are the ones that aren't getting as much. And to me, I think they're sort of the team to keep m- most of an eye on. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're the ones who take it this year, but I'll stick with the Guardians for now. I love it, and I will give a quick shout-out. I agree with both of you on uh, the Royals' fourth, and again, I don't expect them to win a ton of games, but that's a really fun up-and-coming team, and uh, you know, Bobby Witt and so many other guys are going to help them win a ton of games down the line, so I like that you both uh, put them forth. All right, well, I, go ahead, Doe. And I think... The one thing I'll couch my predictions with is that I the basis behind putting Cleveland one for me is that of the top three teams, I think even with talk of sophomore slumps in the youth, that Cleveland is still the lowest variance team here. 
I think Minnesota and Chicago are such high variance teams. Uh, this Twins team could win 95 games and they could win 75 games and neither would really surprise me all that much because there's just like so many different injury outcomes and so many different just performance things that um, could be equally likely either way. But that's why we're in the that's why we're in spring training. Optimism can reign, and so that's why <laughs> that's why I'm putting them where they where where they are. All right. Well, here's Doe and I both uh, hedging our bets basically with the <laughs> AL Central to make sure that we explain ourselves as thoroughly as possible. Um, Doe, thank you so much for for joining us to to preview what what should be an exciting division race. You know, we're trying to make the AL Central exciting again, but hey. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Follow Doe at twins.com on Twitter uh, and, you know, follow along with the AL Central. Thanks so much for having me. Hope you guys enjoy dinner. All right. And stay with us. We're going to get into WBC talk. And then, of course, now that Sarah has to have some time to think about her new favorite moment in baseball this week, we'll get to that later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, that was so much fun talking to Doe. I mean, I'm biased because I get to see him all the time and he's in my division that I cover, but one of my favorite people on the planet, you know, Jeopardy alum. He got, he's got it all going for him, so. Two-time Jeopardy alum. Don't sell him short. Not many people can say that. No, not many at all. Yeah, he's great. That was awesome. And hey, I'm excited. I was already excited for the AL Central because I love you guys. I love Andy Rogers. So many fun people in that division. I'm always excited to watch any division, but hopefully any AL Central skeptics listening, maybe you pulled them over to your side now. We can do what we can. But speaking of exciting to watch, I think it's that time of year that everyone starts to get excited for the World Baseball Classic that's starting to kick up a little bit more now. I know it's going to be in the next few days, but it's starting to feel like it is already happening because the Guardians specifically already had a player leave um, to head out to Taiwan for his bracket. They have Richie Palacios on there. He's playing for the Netherlands and... I was it was just wild to talk to him because I was like like have you ever been there like is is this gonna be wild for you and he said no I've never been there but I've heard people talk about being there and how incredible it is and how seriously they take baseball and the culture there is amazing and I mean you think about the experience of just one representing your country but two for the guys who are going to to different parts of the world like this um, that's really an, an experience and that's unbelievable and once in a lifetime type of stuff. And so I know he's doing it specifically, Richie Palacios, he's on the team with his brother. So they're excited to do it together. 
Um, but the big thing is he has to leave early because he has a layover in L.A. and then has a 15-hour flight to Taiwan from L.A. And I'm like, what do you do on a 15-hour flight? He said, hopefully sleep, at least for half of it. And I was like, but that's still like eight hours left. So what do you do then? He's like, I don't know. i got to find some TV shows or something. But uh, it's starting to feel like that time of year where people are are just going to start breaking off into their other teams with their countries. And I know you are going to be up close and personal to all the action because you're going to be doing stats for it. What do you like most about this type of a tournament? I love the World Baseball Classic, and of course, anyone who listens to us here, you who know me, uh, probably not the surprise to hear that, no. but no, I no, no, have no. such vivid memories. So the 20, I've watched all of them, of course, but the 2013 WBC, I was in college during it, and of course, with our schedule, WBC games are basically happening during ninth and 10th week and finals as we're headed towards spring break. And one of my absolute best friends from college, JT Jeremy Watts, he is a huge baseball fan. And that's really what made us such good friends. And I can remember staying up and watching games that started at midnight Chicago time in order to watch Team Netherlands because that was the first year they were in it. And that was the year that he and I became the biggest fans in the world of Jonathan Scope, who we called Shoop until we turned on the sound and learned about Team Netherlands, the fact that they called baseball honkball. Everything (laughs) about them is so much fun. And, of course, they had a really fun run that year and last time around. But just generally, I mean, I think that the idea of the World Baseball Classic really resonates with fans and with players because, to me, it's baseball in such a pure form. When you're playing the overall MLB season, when you're playing a game in April, you know it matters towards October. But it's in the long run. It's a different kind of viewpoint. But here we're talking about a very quick tournament. Takes place over the course of like two plus weeks. And you get to represent your country. Which is so meaningful for so many guys. What I love is guys like Freddie Freeman. Who plays for Canada. In part because both of his parents are Canadian. But he grew up in California. But his late mother, who he has talked about a lot and was very, very important to him, and he has a very strong emotional connection with, the fact that she was Canadian, he feels like he's playing for her when he puts on that uniform. And you just don't get things like that in any other way. So there's so many reasons I love the World Baseball Classic. And as you said, I'm getting a chance to sort of work with the tournament this year, which is amazing. I mean, again, we go back to 2013, me staying up till 3 a.m., watching Team Netherlands in my dorm room. I mean, if you told that girl that she would get to do something like this, I mean, I can't even imagine it. But part of why I want us to talk about it today is because by the time we talk next week, the tournament will be close underway. So the first game is at 11 p.m. Eastern 
on March 7th. So it's on March 8th in uh, Taiwan where it's happening. But it's, uh, it's actually on March 7th for most of us, all of us in the U.S. So that's Cuba and the Netherlands. So I just wanted to make sure that we previewed the tournament before uh, everything started happening. I mean, I, I think obviously because you're going to be working the tournament, I'm sure you've been invested and I'm sure you would have been invested regardless uh, knowing you. But knowing the rosters once they came out, knowing who's going where, are there any teams? I know you'll be out in Arizona and you'll be doing that that bracket, which I know has, what, U.S., Canada, those types of teams. But across the board, are there any teams in particular that you're most excited to watch or seem like they're most stacked? I mean, it has to be the Dominican Republic. So when I was deciding where I wanted to be for pool play, I was trying to decide, do I want to be in Phoenix and see the U.S. team, or do I want to go to Miami and see the Dominican Republic team? And I almost chose Miami, but I'm expecting that this Dominican team, and I will get you the roster and read through it in a moment, I'm expecting they will advance beyond pole place, so and I will luckily get the chance to... Uh, to see them regardless, so I want to sort of split the difference. But let me read you just a selection of names on this roster. We'll start with pitchers. We're in this sort of typical roster. I'm on MLB.com here. Brian Abreu out of the bullpen. Sandy Alcantara, okay, reigning Cy Young winner. Diego Castillo, Johnny Cueto, Camilo Doval, who I saw pitch today in Scottsdale Stadium. He was hitting 99 in, I think, his first outing of the spring. Uh, Christian Javier, Rafael Montero, Gregory Soto, who throws really hard. Cesar Valdez, a fan favorite. Then we get to catchers, Francisco Mejia and Gary Sanchez, infielders. Willie Adamas, Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Rafael Devers, Wander Franco, Vlad Jr., Manny Machado, Cattell Marte, Jeremy Pena, and Gene Zagura. I mean, that's just the infielders available. Then we get to the outfield. We have Teoscar Hernandez, Eloy Jimenez, Julio Rodriguez, and Juan Soto. I mean, I'm not sure I could construct a more perfect baseball team. I mean, obviously, you want Mike Trout, you want Shohei Otani if you're talking about absolute superstars, but there is nothing wrong with this team. I mean, this is absolutely incredible, and we have talked a lot on this podcast about how two of my absolute favorite players to watch in the game right now are Julio Rodriguez and Juan Soto. I cannot believe we're going to be lucky enough to see them in the same outfield, in the same lineup together. I mean, it's just an absolute treat for baseball fans, and that's why I love the tagline for this tournament that says a festival of baseball, because obviously you have the strong storyline of the players playing for their federations and getting to show off that strong uh, connection that they have. But it's also just an amazing chance for fans to see 
these amazing superstar players in different kinds of lineups. It's like the all-star game, but it actually matters. And guys aren't going to be playing two innings and three innings at a time. They're going to be trying to win for pride. I mean, it's amazing. And to think of that DR team and to think that Jose Ramirez wanted to be on it but chose not to because of having thumb surgery this offseason, like, oh, my gosh, if you would add that on, that's that would – the team is stacked already, so it's okay that he's not there. But, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking of all that talent. That's that's going to be something to watch. And I think it's fun whenever these types of teams mix in and, and play the actual Major League Baseball teams as well. Like, I know the Guardians have a game against Mexico coming up. And uh, I think that sort of grows it even more, even if people weren't going to be watching the World Baseball Classic. Uh, and they're just going to a spring training game or watching the spring training game of their favorite team, and their favorite team that day is playing one of the teams that are involved in the World Baseball Classic, that's what's cool to me because then you bring in another audience that might not even know about it or have never really even took the time to watch it. Um, so I, I, all around seems like a great idea. I know the timing of it can always have the speculation of is this the best time to have it, um, but there's not really a better answer. Like when else would you have it? It's so difficult to figure it out. So um, I'm excited to watch it. This is really the first time that you can, like I would be able to see it up close and personal to be involved in baseball the way that I am now. So I'm excited to see the impact of it and sh- it should be uh, a lot of fun. And I'm going to turn it over to you if there's any last tidbits about the the world baseball classic or anything that you're most looking forward to whenever you're doing stats for them next week um so we'll start with tidbits and then i want to read through the u.s roster because it is also stacked and we have to give credit where credit's due but my favorite tidbit is the fact miguel cabrera is on the uh, team venezuela roster and oliver perez who i feel like we've definitely talked about on here Good Lolly is in the designated pitcher pool for Team Mexico. If either of them appears in a game, they will be the only guys to have appeared in all five World Baseball Classics. I just think that's a really cool testament to how much it means to them, first of all, because they're both older at this point, and just the longevity overall. And of course, we have to give a Partial hat tip to Yadier Molina, who played in the first four and is now manager for Team Puerto Rico, but he won't have played in all five. So that's actually a good transition because I want to talk about the U.S. team. And I feel like I have to talk about the coaching staff first because I was scrolling down here and I was like, oh my gosh, I had forgotten some of this. So manager, of course, Mark DeRosa. Bench coach Jerry Manuel, another bench coach, Brian McCann, the hitting coach for Team USA. This guy, see if you've heard of him. Ken Griffey Jr. I think I know that name. Yeah, yeah, heard of him once or twice. Pigeon coach, Andy Pettit. Mm. Oh, okay. Yep, that guy. Bullpen coach, Dave Rigetti. Pretty cool. Batting practice pitcher, Michael Young. I mean... Yeah, so we haven't even gotten to players yet, and that's already really incredible to me. Uh, Now, if we go through pitchers again, I'm just going to read off a few names. But we have Kyle Freeland here on this team, Merrill Kelly, 
Lance Lynn, Miles Michaelis, Adam Adovino, Ryan Presley, Brady Singer, Adam Wainwright, which I love to see him doing that, and Devin Williams. So it feels like the U.S. roster is very uh, reliever-centric, maybe, with some of the bigger names, with the way the tournament works and pitch counts and everything. Having a lot of really strong relievers is a really good place to be, so I think that's really good. They have three catchers, Kyle Higashioka, JT Realmuto, and Will Smith. So with the latter two, that's two of the top four catchers in all of baseball, just casually, you know, just hanging out on one roster. Then we have infielders of Pete Alonzo. Tim Anderson, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Trey Turner, and Bobby Wade Jr. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because these guys are all incredible. They've all been all-stars or will be soon in Bobby Wade Jr.'s case. And, I mean, absolute superstars. The fact that Arenado and Goldschmidt, of course, are teammates. We have Goldschmidt being a reigning MVP. Just so much star power there. And then the outfielders, Mookie Betts, Jeff McNeil's list and an outfielder. We'll see where he plays. He obviously has played outfield and infield for the Mets. Cedric Mullins, Kyle Schwerber, this guy named Mike Trout, and Kyle Tucker. I mean, the fact that Mike Trout is doing this tournament is probably the single biggest thing when you look at the sort of macro version of the storylines. All of these guys are incredible. But for the slam dunk, no question, active Hall of Famer, who is still in the prime of his career, to say, you know what, I want to go represent my country. I want to go play with all of these other guys. I mean, it is so good for baseball as a whole. It's going to be so much fun. You, I, it's not just one team's roster that's stacked. It seems like everyone has just at least one, two huge name players. And um, the fact that it's spread all across across the globe is doing exactly what Major League Baseball needs to do, and it's just growing the game. And uh, it's going to be a blast of a tournament to watch. It's going to go quickly because it's crammed in in such a short period of time. Um, but the games are going to be fun. I can't wait to see all the highlights from them. I know I won't be able to keep up with it as much as I would like to being at camp every day, but uh, I know I'll be able to trust you for that. I'm sure you'll be texting me whenever there's... I will be texting you. You know it. You know it. Exactly. So, okay, let's, let's take a break real quick. We'll come back, and we'll go through our favorite moments from baseball over the past week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, okay, I know I took it off the top, but I'm sure you have 8 trillion backups because it's you. So which one are you choosing for your favorite moment in baseball from the past week? Okay, so obviously there have been a lot there have been a lot physically in person which is amazing i'm always so grateful for but my favorite thing is something i saw on twitter on tuesday night brett phillips who even though he doesn't know it is a friend of the program because (laughs) he loves baseball the same way we do uh, the Angels were playing a game yesterday. I don't even know the full context. I just know what the Angels tweeted out. He took a little kid, a little kid in the full uniform, by the way, onto the field. They moved the net so he could come on the field. They play catch on the field, back and forth. And then at the end, Brett Phillips celebrated with him like they had just won the World Series or something. He picks them up, they're running around, and then my favorite part was how carefully he delivered the kid back to his father. He picks them up, brings them over the railing. I mean, it was the most adorable thing. And the joy on Brett Phillips' face, I mean, this (laughs) is why we're so lucky to have him in baseball. And I had been at an Angels-Giants game the day before, and I sit there with my parents who know so much about baseball without my help. But I'm sort of talking through and, you know, just giving my sort of outlook on each guy. And Brad Phillips played, and I was like, oh, I love him. He is just such a good guy. He's so much fun. I was reminding about his pitching escapades and how when he signed with the Angels, he tweeted out Otani or something about being two-way players. But anyway, I mentioned that. And then a day later, he does this. And it's also just an example of the amazing atmosphere that is spring training. Because the odds of that happening in Major League Park are probably a lot lower. But in a spring training park, it's very easy to spot a kid, you know, who's right by the front, bring him over the rail, and play catch with him on the field. So that kid will always remember that. And it was just an amazing moment. What do you got? Okay, that's why I love spring training right there. And why I love Brett Phillips in baseball, because he... He makes so many cool moments happen that not everyone would do. And he really, really goes out of his way to do these types of things. And it just seems so natural for him. I could go on and on. These are the types of things of why baseball is so great. Um, and so, okay, that, that's my little moment there with that. But mine's actually really similar. I, I'm going with another moment like that. Um, Will Benson, an outfielder who used to be with the Guardians, now with the Reds, he, uh, there was this video that I forget who tweeted it out, but I saw it because Benson retweeted it. He was playing knockout with a couple of kids who were over at camp. And I don't know if they were just there watching or who they were, but it was him with like four other kids, little kids, young kids playing knockout basketball, like, you know, the, the game for basketball he was over there and they were just lining up on the court and he was showing absolutely no mercy. <laughs> he was playing as hard as he could 
and they were having a blast. Now imagine these, what, eight to 10 year old kids playing with uh, a baseball player, whether he makes the opening day roster there or not. Like he's a player. He was in the big leagues for the Guardians this past year. He's a professional baseball player and he's going out of his way, stepping away from spring training to have fun with these kids. They have to mem- like remember that moment forever. Like you said, with the little kid who got to go out and play with Brett Phillips. I mean, these, this is why I could go on and on about why spring training is so awesome. The guys are so relaxed. You're allowed to just take a breath during this and look outside of just the competition and how hardcore this sport is, how hardcore of a job it is, because, I mean, you're playing for so much. But, oh, my goodness, the fact that they just go out and they take the time to do these types of things just absolutely warms my heart every time I see it. So as soon as I saw that video, I was like, yep, that's my moment. I love that. I mean, it's just those moments. And as you said, there's something special about how close everything is at spring training. And I think that that's sort of like the umbrella way you can describe all of these moments. So just absolutely amazing. And hey, we're so close to even more moments. I mean, I can't even imagine what I'm going to be going on and on about during the WBC. So it's all going to be so much fun. Slangs, we got to get out of here. I got to get ready so that <laughs> I can meet you for dinner. Um, and somehow it looks like uh, a hurricane is in the desert outside of my window right now as it just absolutely pours down. So now I got to figure out how I'm getting in my car without looking like a wet dog. So on that note, that's the end of this podcast. Uh, Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Conventions podcast, and we'll see you next week.